he says of Jerusalem, in this city will my spirit dwell. Mm. So whether you agree with that geopolitically or not, <laughs> God said it. <laughs> the land belongs to him. You know, we do, the world wants to argue, does it belong to the Arab people? Does it belong to the Jewish people? Well, neither one. It belongs to God. God promises in Joel 2.28 to pour out his spirit on all humanity. Welcome to Global Outpouring, where we contend for that promised outpouring we equip for that outpouring, that we may engage in that very outpouring. I'm Philip Buss. And I'm Sharon Buss. Welcome to the podcast today. We have with us again our dear friends, Claren and Nancy McQueen. They are amazing worshipers and musicians, and they also have a tremendous amount of, of knowledge and experience in the land of Israel, God's land. They've lived there and they have Israel in their heart, and they're going to be part of our leadership team as we go to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Summons 2023. Welcome to the podcast today. We're so glad that you are with us. This is going to be an amazing time. God loves his land, and we want you to stay tuned to get a heart for Israel and get a heart for what is God is doing in his land because it is amazing. But before we get started, we want to encourage you to go to our website, globaloutpouring.net, and get connected with us. Click on the subscribe button so that you can get emails from us and hear from us. And just look at all the other things that we have there. And there's a link there to our events. And in particular, you may want to look at the event that we're calling Jerusalem Summons 2023. So, Claren and Nancy, we're so glad to have you with us again. It is always a delight. Um, we we have Israel in our DNA, I'm sure. <laughs> All of us do somehow. It's in our spiritual DNA because it's the land of our spiritual forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus walked on that land. And when you go there, the Bible comes alive. But, Clarence, start out telling us how you got there in the first place. Uh, it was really a, a surprising thing to me. Uh, I had a group that I, a music group that did musical missions, uh, and we were traveling. Generally, we traveled about half the year in Europe somewhere, uh, and then the other half in the United States. But in 1981, as I was preparing that schedule, the Lord started saying, I'm going to do something different next year. And I kept praying into it, and he never told me what the different was. Just get ready. Mm -hmm. I'm doing something different. <laughs> and that year, starting in January of that year, we uh, often ministered in a small congregation called Westside New Covenant in Manhattan at 104th and Broadway. Wonderful people. And we finished a service, and there was a man with a very thick accent there and his wife. Um, and they, he started shaking my hand, and I thought he was going to shake my hand off my arm. And he was saying, this was wonderful, wonderful. You must come to Jerusalem. 
you must be part of the Feast of Tabernacles. And I really didn't have all that much background in biblical Hebraic understanding, and I didn't know what a Feast of Tabernacles was, really. I wasn't familiar <laughs> with the term. And I'm shaking as he's talking to me, and I'm thinking, okay, that'll be good if I come out alive from this handshake. <laughs> and then from that point on, that was Max Jacoby, by the way, who he and his wife, Hilla, have done numerous beautiful photographic books of life in Israel mm. and oh. very, very talented photographers. Wow. Uh, he didn't have the authority to invite me to the Feast of Tabernacles, <laughs> but he did do all the photographs for the feast at that time. <laughs> And then for month after month, the Lord kept introducing us to people, both Arab people, Arab believers, and Jewish people, who were inviting us to come and spend time in Israel. Hmm. And I never really thought, you know, we were a Christian mission group. Mm -hmm. So as far as I understood Israel, I thought, and what are we going to do? We're going to sing in the four or five really active evangelical churches, and then what? Mm -hmm. We're going to sing for the army? <laughs> <laughs> and as it turned out, that's exactly what happened. Really? <laughs> wow. Yes, the Lord introduced us to so many different people some of them who were believing Israelis who were in the army at the time. Wow. And the Lord opened the doors in 1982. We sang at the feast, hmm. uh, which was incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been there. Yeah. I walked out on the stage at the Beninai Halma, which that unpronounceable name, <laughs> you know, I, I was asking directions to get to the hall where we were supposed to be. And the guy said, well, it's the Benyanehao Ma. And I thought, oh, my word, I can't even pronounce this, let alone <laughs> ask directions to it. <laughs> yeah. But we got there and walked out on the stage, and there are 5,000 people from all over the world. We were there, I'm oh. sure. Yes, in this auditorium in the center of Jerusalem. And as we're about to lead worship, I thought, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah, I'm about to lead worship in the fulfillment of prophecy. Mm -hmm. It was just such an amazing moment and kept on being an amazing moment every year when we were involved. But then through various means, the Lord took us to do ministry in Cairo and Alexandria for two weeks. Mm. And oh. then uh, we sang for the army, I think, three times. We sang on an atheist kibbutz. Wow. Wow. That was an experience. <laughs> and the, the lady who had set that up after we went, to, we didn't know it was atheist when we went. Mm. And you can imagine the reception. And, but, and all the songs that we knew in Hebrew were prophetic. <laughs> so, you know, as we began to sing Isaiah and Jeremiah and Psalms, I could see people bristling. And, and I stopped and I said, look, all we learned in Hebrew is the Bible. We're not necessarily trying to lead you down a road you don't go, want to go. It's just all the songs we know. Can't we just sing and have a good time? And, <laughs> and we sang Hine Matov, and they opened their hearts, and we had a great time and ended up having wonderful conversations with some of the leaders of the wow. community. 
sang to Arab people in Nazareth, just the Lord opened doors for us for six weeks. Wow. And, uh, and then I went home thinking, well, that was wonderful. That was the trip of a lifetime. I'll yeah. probably never be back again. <laughs> and the Lord had me back within a year and a half. So. And you stayed for how long? Twelve years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So in the meantime, Nancy, what happened with you? I went over to do an art project that the Lord had put on my heart, hiring unemployed Russian immigrants. I took art supplies, rented a studio space, and long story short, the rabbi in the town I'm from happened to be the grandson of Eliezer ben Yehuda. Eliezer ben Yehuda was a young boy, about 14 years old or so, who the Lord put on his heart to write the first Hebrew dictionary because Hebrew had been a lost language except in the scriptures. You know, people had been dispersed all over the world. Um, so they learned whatever languages that were in the nations that they were living in. And it was only really spoken in synagogues and so and, forth. And just to read the Torah. Yeah. And so, they would read it and maybe maybe mm-hmm. understand it? Did they understand May, it? I, you know, probably some did. I yeah. don't know. The um, ones who studied it would have understood. Right, yeah. The rabbi probably did. Sure. <laughs> um, so anyway, he was a young kid, and he ended up going to Paris to study further. And he literally wrote the first dictionary um, and died on the last alphabet. Well, the woman that I lived with was his daughter-in-law, who Echud, his youngest son, was married to. And she and Echud together finished the dictionary and actually published it. Wow. So I would sit in the evenings and hear these amazing stories of actual life in Israel at the time that they were living there with Eliezer Ben Yehuda, the the senior. So so it was essential. What like what what year about did did Ben Yehuda come to Israel. He wasn't his health bad, and he had to come there his because health of his health. Bad, I can't remember. But the interesting thing to me about the whole process is that the Lord put it on his heart before 1900, back in the 18, mm-hmm. you know, 18 something, to start writing this. Yeah, people had not begun to move back to Israel at that time, but God, because He is so amazing, mm-hmm. <laughs> brilliant, always prepared, has a plan, and sticks to it. Yeah. He had this young man writing a Hebrew dictionary before the nation was reborn. So when everyone came from around the world to come back, they had one language to learn so that they could communicate together. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was, he started a newspaper, and he would publish a new word every week so that they could, everybody, everybody would learn the new word of the week. And eventually they were back to speaking Hebrew and yeah. Israel. So they, it was an honor and yeah. such a blessing to live with them. They, they call him the father of the Hebrew language. Yes, yes he yeah. is. Father yeah. of modern Hebrew. Father of, father of modern Hebrew. He actually made a pact with his wife before they were ever married. And he said, I will not marry you unless you promise to raise our children as Hebrew speakers. And their children were actually homeschooled because he didn't want them to hear another language other than wow. Hebrew. Wow. Well, and Mrs. Wow. Ben Yehuda, who was from France that married Echud, the woman that I lived with, she spoke French. So when she mm. came, she she told me all of the difficulties of 
the family experience for her because she was forced to like get it now, you know, figure it out so yeah. you can communicate. Wow. But of course she did. She was a brilliant person. I just really loved her. Wow. That is She was exciting. 86 at the time. That was back in the... Didn't you tell us something about something that was in the room where you stayed? Yes. Uh, the flag, one of the flags that was in the early meeting of the nation of Israel was actually still on hanging on a pole, a flagpole, uh, in a storage room. Wow. And I said to Chemda, who was um, her daughter, you need to get that restored and give it to the you know museum somewhere yeah, because yeah. that's a very valuable piece. So it's... Amazing, all of the and a dictionary. The entire volume was on the back wall of my room. It was a huge, big. There were probably I don't remember how many, maybe twenty six or seven books or something like that. Twenty six or twenty seven big books, books, big books. Yeah, of the Hebrew language. Yeah, the first publication. The first publication. Eventually, they published it with um, pocketbook. Wow. And I got, she gave me a, and signed one of the last few that she had left of wow. the pocketbook version. Wow. Yeah. That is just amazing. And of course, it's still used today. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So so you got to be a part of history. Hearing yeah. history Hearing from history. the horse's mouth, so to speak. It wow. was the real deal. That's amazing. And, and Claren, you were privileged to teach in an institute. Tell us a little about that. Uh, I taught in the Jerusalem Center for Biblical Studies, uh, which later was changed to Biblical Resources, um, and that was a gift from the Lord. Um, I had been doing study in historical geography at the Institute for Holy Land Studies in Mount Zion, which has also changed its name now. Um, so I, I had quite a bit of background. But the um, leader of the Jerusalem Center came to me and said, I, I really want you to work for me. Uh, I, I know that you are going to be a great teacher. But he said, you know, you realize that you're going to be the low man on the totem pole. Yeah. So I'm not going to be able to allow you to teach in the classroom that much. And I was thinking... Why did you want to hire me then if I can't teach? But he went on to say, because you're the low man on the totem pole, you'll have to be in charge of the field trips. Yeah. Uh -huh. So <laughs> when we did the unit on Yeshua, then I was the guy that had to go to Galilee. And when we did the unit on Exodus, then I was the guy that had to go to the Sinai. And it was a tough job. <laughs> so I traveled all over Israel yeah. and beyond. Yes. And people paid me for it. I used to pinch myself when I got up in the morning. <laughs> I'm getting paid to do this. <laughs> Getting paid to walk where Jesus walked. <laughs> getting paid to walk where the patriarchs walked. It was just awesome. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Getting paid to go to Bethel. Getting paid to go to Shiloh. Getting paid to go. Mm -hmm. Yes. Awesome. Getting paid to go on that on that boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So um, whenever we go to Israel on one of our tours, um, we always have a licensed Israeli guide. Um, but it's it's a bonus to get to have Claren with us also because then he'll add something else that the that the guide uh, you know just add to what the guide has to say and and it's uh, it's just amazing it's so you 
get to write our itineraries now. Yes. And that was a job that I used to do. I, I started doing our tours in 1978. So I've been doing this a while, and I used to be the one that, to write the itineraries. But when we started teaming up together with, with you all and, and with Pastor Mark Bristow, um, it's like, okay, this is, this is something that I, that I can pass this ball to Claren because he knows how to do this. So you've been writing our itineraries ever since, and you know we kind of talked together. But when we first wrote the itinerary for this one, um, we were writing it basically for March of 2020. <laughs> and I think we all remember what happened in March of 2020. Um, nothing pretty much <laughs> happened in March of 2020, except everybody got to stay home. And the people who went to Israel uh, had to come home and quarantine for two weeks. So we've never had anything like this happen before that very few people signed up. And no. we've, we just felt like, uh, this isn't working. It was very unusual. Uh, it's yeah. never happened. We've never, never canceled. I mean, and since my starting with 1978, I think Sister Gwen was doing uh, some tours before that. But but uh, from 78 until 2020, we, this had never happened. We'd, we'd never seen this. So we postponed it until November of 2020. Well, that didn't happen either. And, you know, Israel wasn't open yet. So now that Israel's open again, we're feeling an amen of the Holy Spirit to do this. And, and the thing that was in my heart as we were writing this, as I was coaching you on things that the Holy Spirit was laying on my heart, that we focus on the holiness of the Holy Land. Mm. The, the places where we're going are holy because of the things that God did there. He is holy. His presence is there. I mean, you know it when you land. It's like you can feel something when, when the plane lands. There's something about, oh, it kind of feels like I'm home. Even your first time you get there. Uh, at least that was my experience. Did, did you feel that way, Philip? No, I, no, I, I really didn't. You weren't really that connected yet, I but just you do got, now. I just got saved here like three. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many months before that. It was that. all new to you. Yeah, that was, that, going to Israel, was, that, was, that was all new to me. Yeah, that was probably uh, probably eight months earlier that you had just gotten saved. Yeah. yeah, and my mom had gone with our founder, Sister Gwen, in 1971, yeah. 10 years earlier. You know? Right, Yeah. right. So that was kind of our honeymoon trip. Yeah. But anyway, there's there's something that happens when you get there. There's a there's a presence. If you're if you're the least bit tuned into the presence of God, there you feel the yeah. presence of God and the holiness. I mean, you're surrounded by secular stuff mm -hmm. uh, in in most most of the time. But until you go to a holy site, and then then you can kind of feel that too. But there's there's a there's just a presence of God because it's his land. Yeah. Well, and even if you don't feel it, uh I'm with you Philip when I first went uh I was in charge of a group so that, you know, I wasn't having I I had lots of responsibility yeah. on my shoulders. Yeah. And was the the bookings were happening but they were happening 
in an Israeli way. You know, <laughs> as as it unfolded, that's how it unfolded, which was unnerving to me <laughs> as a T-crosser and I daughter. Uh, but what did happen to me, and I think what happens to everyone, is the reality. You know, the Bible more than any other holy book, much more. Most holy books, the Quran or any Buddhist writings or whatever, they're talking about philosophy. But the Bible is the story of my interaction with God, mm-hmm. whoever I am. Right. And so it's also the story of the land. 90% of the Bible takes, probably more than 90%, takes place in that land. Yeah. And David says, I was here at point A, B, and I God told me to move and took me to point C, D, and this is what happened to me on the way. I was on the road to Beit Horon, or I was on the road to Yerushalayim, and this is what happened. I heard the wind in the trees in this particular valley, and when I heard that wind, so then when you go to the land mm-hmm. and you're standing in that valley where right. David said, I heard the wind through the trees right here, there's something that you realize. I'd, I hadn't realized it. I had been, I thought, a strong believer, and I was involved in ministry, and I'd graduated from a great Christian school and had a lot of background, but I had kind of made Jesus so ethereal Mm. that in my mind he was just a spiritual being. Mm. And I remember the first time I walked because I was part of a historical geography program for universities that came from all over the world. So in historical geography, you do a lot of walking. Mm-hmm. You, you visit a lot of archaeology. You get dirty. You get dusty. You sweat. It, you're <laughs> getting to know the land itself. You're not just looking at beautiful churches with lovely stained glass. And the first time we came from Jericho up to Jerusalem, we actually hiked part of that way. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And it really woke me up to when Luke's gospel says, and he was on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem, he wasn't floating. He was walking. Yeah. His feet were dusty. His sorry folks, if this unnerves you, his armpits were sweaty. You know, <laughs> he and I realized this is a real person involved with real people mm-hmm. just like he is right now. Right. It 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 just wakes you up to the reality of who God is. Mm-hmm. I, I love and I, and I love watching, and you've watched this over the years too, people's eyes just eventually, it only takes two or three days, and people start getting that reality of, wow, I'm here. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, the word holy, to be holy, you are lechadesh. You set something apart. And God set apart that land. Mm -hmm. He says of Jerusalem, in this city will my spirit dwell. Mm. So whether you agree with that geopolitically or not, (laughs) God said it. 
<laughs> the land belongs to him. You know, we do, the world wants to argue, does it belong to the Arab people? Does it belong to the Jewish people? Well, neither one. It belongs to God. Exactly. And God gets to do with the land what he wants to do with the land. Precisely. Yes. Yeah. And that is something that when you go, and I hope many of you who are listening will have the faith to put the money together to come with us. It's just such an awesome unique experience. Nothing that you can do in your life will ever compare with going to Israel. Mm -hmm. And I've been to many, many countries. Sharon and Philip have been to probably more countries. And I think we'll all agree, and Nancy, that there's just nothing like visiting the nation of Israel, talking to her people, both Arab people and Jewish people, Mm -hmm. and people from other lands that have been drawn there for whatever reason. It, it's just an amazing experience because it's a set-apart experience. Mm-hmm. And then you can never read the Bible the same way again. It's true. Mm-hmm. You really don't even pray, I don't think, in the same way again. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a wonderful relationship with the Lord before I went and before I lived there, but it is just so enlarged and energized mm-hmm. and expanded. It's, uh, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. When I arrived in Israel, I was not overwhelmed immediately. I was so exhausted from the trip. (laughs) But it was a very short time later that I was walking in an olive garden with my little harp and began to play a song. And the presence of the Holy Spirit just filled everything around me. And I suddenly realized I was where Jesus had actually been. Mm-hmm. And it was the most amazing sense that I've ever experienced mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's that it's so significant. There's so much talk uh, among people who are not believers that the Bible isn't true, that it's just a book of fables at, or or mythology. And but they've never read it, <laughs> probably. Probably they've yeah. never read it. Maybe they have and they were hurt in church by people who misrepresented God. But the thing that's so significant to me is the number of, of discoveries uh, in archaeology where you have archaeologists that are actually using the Bible as a guide for where to look for things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they're discovering, sure enough, there it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you have a few of these archaeologists. I don't know how they how or why they're archaeologists if they if they don't believe in the Bible, but they'll you know they'll come up with all kinds of excuses for why this is here that yeah. doesn't agree with the Bible because they because they can't they can't agree with it because their minds are you know not focused on the truth blinded blinded that's the word they're blinded but you know just just give us a couple of examples clear enough of places where archaeologists have discovered something that here's another proof that the Bible is true. Oh, there are so many. We used to joke at the Jerusalem Center that we actually could keep giving the same test year after year, Mm -hmm. and even returning students couldn't cheat because archaeology kept discovering new things at a rate so that the answers to the test would change. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you know that the uh, sites that we see now, many of them are different sites because archaeology just continues 
to discover new things. The mm-hmm. whole city of Beit Sha'an. Oh, yeah, that's how amazing. How huge it was in Jesus' time. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's one of those things that because I've gone every year or nearly every year and sometimes more than once a year uh, through since 78, I have watched so many things. And you have too, of course. Yes. The so many things. Our tour bus would go by Bet Shean and we could see that they were excavating. Yeah. And then the next year we could come and we could see that they were excavating, but we're watching from the outside. And then one day... We got to walk in Bet yeah. Wow. Yeah. Same thing happened in Caesarea. You know, the first yes. time I went, all the all that was excavated was the theater. And then we started seeing that there was excavation there were excavations going on further on in in the ancient city. And and year by year we'd see there's stuff going on, there's stuff going and then we got to walk there. <laughs> yeah. oh, so amazing. Yeah, just like going to Caesarea, yeah. where Paul was imprisoned. Yeah. You know, right where the palace was, right on the edge of the Mediterranean there. It was you know, amazing. And, and it was amazing. And all the, the Hippodrome where they did all the races and, mm-hmm. you know, everything is there. It's, it's um, you know, history comes alive. We mm-hmm. have, a, have a much better understanding. And I've heard it said there's more um, archaeological discoveries for every square foot of Israel than anywhere else. (laughs) Caesarea is one of the places uh, scholars for a long time, some scholars, uh, argued that Pontius Pilate was really not an historical character. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at that theater in Caesarea that it's so beautiful, that actually is still a theater. There are still concerts held every concert schedule for the Israeli Philharmonic and others. But there was a plaque discovered that this theater, this arena, was built by Pontius Pilate and gives a year. It's now in the Israel Museum. Yeah. But just stopped that particular debate yeah. on the spot. <laughs> yeah, people people assuming that the, that there's... That this is mythological or or yeah. you know, fables or something, and the size of things, uh, Josephus, which if you're familiar, Josephus wrote a history of the Jews and a history of the wars of the Jews. That's that is one of the longest and most involved historical writings from the first century and uh, just shortly before the time of Jesus Christ. And scholars many times would say Josephus is inflating his sizes mm-hmm. for Herod's palace, say, or other events in Jerusalem. And over and over again, archaeology proves Josephus to be truthful. Wow. So now his writings, which are also a support for New Testament writings, mm-hmm. are proven true over and over again, year after year. Wow. Amazing. Plus just wonderful new things. Uh, the Catholic Church, you're familiar, oh, yeah. bought uh, a piece of land uh, that they knew was on the site of Magdala, the town where Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, came from. And they were thinking of just putting a little tourist site there because they knew that it was in the vicinity of, of Magdala. But they had no thought of what they would discover there. And mm-hmm. what they've discovered is 
probably two-thirds of the entire town of Magdala. They've discovered mikvaot, which you can, if you come to Israel, you can actually step down into that mikvah that probably Mary Magdalene would have used. So tell, uh, tell us what a mikvah is. It's the ritual uh, bathing it wasn't really a bathtub because you would come clean, but it's made in two sections so that you walk down into the water, had to be living water in which you baptized yourself. Then you would baptize yourself in the water and then walk up on another set of steps because you went in impure and you come up out of that living water. This is a picture of what baptism is in the Christian church. You come up out of that living water as a new creature, totally renewed by God. Mm -hmm. And there are many mikvaot in this particular city, plus the synagogue, yeah, the synagogue. Mm -hmm. itself, which is wonderfully well-preserved. You can actually sit on the seats where probably Mary would have gone uh, to be... If, well, she would have been in the gallery of the women, but you're going to be in that place where she would have been, where probably many of the disciples would have gone. Uh, maybe Jesus himself would have taught there. It's uh, it's an amazing experience. It yes. really is. It really is. And it's a set-apart place by God. Yes. And you don't want to miss it. That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. And one of the other things that we're going to, to have, as well as touring the land, is we're going to have a series of meetings called the Jerusalem Summons Meetings. Uh, it'll be an evening meeting and two days where we have uh, a morning and evening meeting and afternoons free. And we'll be joining together with some of the local believers. And uh, Pastor Mark Bristow will be ministering too. And, you know, he's he's always just flowing in, in a healing anointing. So it's it's going to be an amazing time in the presence of the Lord, an amazing time to meet some of the local believers, an amazing time to, to have the, the Bible come alive to you. Uh, we encourage you to go to Israel whenever, wherever you can go. It matters who you go with. Uh, just just uh, ask the Holy Spirit is this my time? Is this the time for me to go? Um, we will have a link for you to click on so that you can read our itinerary and and look at some pictures and look at some videos of things that we've done in the past. And and uh, and and if you're feeling an amen of the Holy Spirit, you can click there and register. And can I just say, when you look at those pictures, you'll be seeing a lot of sites in the Holy Land, a lot of things that are 2,000 years old or 4,000 years old even. But our heart, as well as allowing you to see those sites where Jesus did what he did 2,000 years ago, is to connect you to what the Holy Spirit is doing in the land today. Right. Mm -hmm. We'll have you talking to members of congregations to hear what their heart is. We'll, we'll be meeting with uh, representatives from a wonderful congregation in Tel Aviv that will share with you how you can pray, and they have a prayer tower where we'll pray that you're overlooking the inside, uh, entire city of Tel Aviv almost, wonderful view they have from their prayer tower, that you'll be able to intercede. We won't leave until we have a time of intercession. That's right. And we'll take you to a marvelous praise house. Mm -hmm. uh, 
just made. It's called Sukkot Hallel, mm -hmm. the Tabernacle of Praise, and that's what it's for. So we'll just enter and walk through that door of worship into the Lord's presence and just get his heart for your time there and what he would have you do as a member of the body there. And then I just love the summons because mm -hmm. we always pull people together to give you their report from what's happening in Nazareth or what's happening in Jerusalem. This is what you need to pray for. This mm -hmm. is what the body needs. And then we can pray together with them. You can actually lay hands on believers and you know pray your heart, pray the Lord's heart over them. It, our, our heart is to connect you not just with the past, but what he's doing right now. Yes. Amen. amen. That's good. That's for sure. And not to mention our own house of peace. Yes. That we have that the Lord the Lord miraculously provided for this ministry. We have our own house in Jerusalem. So we have we have roots in the whole body system of what God is doing there in the land. So um this is this is an opportunity for you and and you know whether you come with us or whether you don't just know that that one of the the really key things as a believer is that you have an understanding of the land of Israel that it belongs to God and nobody can divide it without without stirring up his wrath and it's a place that belongs to him. It's a place where the word comes alive. It's a place where God's people that he chose have been have been coming back from the nations in fulfillment of prophecy. You got to get your understanding of Israel right in order to understand the word of God. Because if you if you believe that uh, the church has replaced Israel, you're missing something quite seriously. Mm -hmm. And it's very important that you understand what God's heart is for his land. Whatever you think about Israel is one thing. It's really what God has decided for Israel and for the people there. And it's for all the people there. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that as you walk where Yeshua walked, as you listen to the people there and their heart, what they're praying for, what Arab believers are praying for in Nazareth, what Jewish believers are praying for in Jerusalem, what Gentile people who've been brought there are praying for and doing in the medical community and other parts of the community volunteering. As you listen to Mary Lois and Jean, who lead intercession every week, who are involved in what's happening in the nation, throughout the year, your heart is going to be stirred in a new way. You're, whatever you think right now as you're listening to this, if you've never been to the land, I can guarantee you, you will be surprised. Mm -hmm. Your mind will be stretched. Mm -hmm. <laughs> More than that, your spirit will be enlarged. Yes. And you will. it will be an opportunity to get a greater vision from the Lord, not just for the land of Israel, but for all the nations. Right. Because we know Derek Prince used to teach this, that Israel is God's time clock. That's right. And the time clock is chiming the hour. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is the last days. Mm -hmm. So now of all times, you know, if you're deciding... Should I go to the Caribbean or should I go to Israel? <laughs> I know the answer. Mm -hmm. If you're deciding, 
Should I buy new living room furniture or should I go to Israel? I'll bet I have the answer. <laughs> this this is a life-changing thing. Yes. But I will warn you, if you go and it's your first time, it might not be your last time because <laughs> you just truth. might That's fall true. in love. No. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Now your furniture will wear out, but your experience <laughs> exactly. yes, will you, live with you the rest of your life. You will always have that experience, and yeah. no one can take it away from you. Yeah. Hallelujah. So come and join us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the podcasting platform suggest this podcast to other listeners who are also looking for a great move of the Holy Spirit. Check out our website at globaloutpouring.org to find out more information, read our blogs, connect with us, and donate. You can also browse our web store for life-changing anointed books. Until next time, this is Sharon Buss. And I'm Philip Buss. God bless you with His overwhelming, loving presence.